Music. News. Community. Culture. Local. Global. Detroit. This is 1019 WDET. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. When Coleman Young took office as the first black mayor of Detroit, he made this statement during his inaugural address. I issue open warning now to all dope pushers, to all rip-off artists, to all mothers, It's time to leave Detroit, hit Eight Mile Road. And I don't give a damn if they're black or white, if they wear super fly suits or blue uniforms or silver badges. Hit the road. That audio from uh, Fox 2 Detroit became a focal point and rallying cry against Young, not for the entire message, but for the misunderstanding notion that uh, Young somehow wanted white residents to leave the city of Detroit or that he wanted criminals to instead invade the white suburbs. That image of Young as inherently racist and corruptible dogged him and his message of a black city's vitality throughout his career and continues to dog him even after his death. You You raise the specter of Coleman Young even today, and there is sort of an instant uh, pushback uh, from lots of people about uh, who he was and what he did. What was it like to be the man behind that message to try to shape the conversation around a mayor who loved the fight as much as he seemed to love profanity? My next guest knows Bob Berg uh, was the uh, the press secretary for Com- Coleman Young for many, many years here in the city of Detroit. Uh, he's now a founding member of Berg Muirhead Public Relations Firm, also former uh, press secretary to Republican Governor Bill Milliken. Bob joins me now in the studio. Welcome to the show. Morning, Stephen. Yeah, it's good to see you. Uh, let's talk about that quote first. Uh, it's one of the most misunderstood quotes, I think, in the history of Detroit. It is the basis for uh, the canard the that you still hear from people who say, when Coleman Young was elected, he told white people to hit Eight Mile Road, get out of the city, uh, or that somehow he invited criminals to, to go be in the suburbs instead of the city. You listen to the quote, though, it's clear that he's saying something very different, and I think that really captures uh, a long sort of narrative about his leadership and his tenure here, this, this sort of disconnect between the things that he actually said and actually did and the way people heard it, many times because it was coming out of the mouth of a black man who did not sort of back away from the idea of uh, self-governance and and pride and and power uh, in the city of Detroit. No, well, if you listen to that, the audience reaction to what he said that day, and that was a that was a fully integrated audience. If you looked at the pictures of that audience, it was about a fifty-fifty audience. And everybody in that audience understood exactly what he was saying. But one of the things that happened was a couple of days later, the Detroit News sent some reporters out to the suburbs, to Warren and a few other suburbs, and, and, and started asking people, well, Coleman Young said this, what do you think he meant? <laughs> and, had, and there was a big headline. And that, that's, that really started 
the misunderstanding yeah. of, of what it what he had said and what he meant. And it and it continues today. I mean, I, I have this argument uh, on email or on Facebook, it seems like, at least once a month with someone who says, well, you know, uh, the racial tensions in Detroit <laughs> started with Coleman Young. They started with that speech uh, when, when he was elected. And uh, no matter how many times you sort of try to explain it, it just doesn't seem to go. Well, I, I, I tell people that I was white the entire time I worked for him. <laughs> and, and I think I would And he didn't seem to have a problem with that. And he didn't seem to have a problem with that. And, and also, it, 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 people still, uh, it's not very well known, but, but he had a 50-50 policy uh, in his administration. If you had a, uh, a, an African-American department head, you were going to have a white deputy. If you had a white department head, you were going to have an African-American deputy. His, his security unit was 50-50. The clerical staff on the 11th floor was 50-50. I mean, he, all 20 years, he had a 50-50 administration yeah. because he truly believed we either go up or down together. Yeah. Uh, to talk about when you got to the young administration, uh, you had been the, the press secretary for Republican Governor Bill Milliken uh, before that. Um, wh- what did you walk into at, uh, at City Hall? Uh, what, what, what year was it and what was going on? And what was the relationship at that point uh, between Coleman Young and the media, which was uh, a very volatile relationship for a lot of the time, and Coleman Young and uh, the region, the, the, the suburbs. Well, I, <laughs> I went to work in January of 83 in the middle of two federal grand jury investigations, Vista <laughs> <laughs> <Right? laughs> and Magnum. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the, the uh, relationship between the mayor and the news media was, uh, was, was very— was at a low. Was at a low, yeah. a very low. In fact, uh, about a month after I started, and I can't remember, we, were, we had scheduled a press conference for something. And, uh, and actually, uh, my theory with the mayor was that he, he'd go out, he'd have a bad experience with the media, and then he wouldn't go out again for a while. <laughs> And I said, we need to get you out more often so we have some good things to talk about as well. And uh, he cracked a joke, and some reporters laughed. And um, Pat Moorfield, who was his personal secretary, mm-hmm. looked at me. She was stunned. She said, I haven't heard laughter out of that room in months. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, that, that disconnect between him and the media, there's much uh, made of it. I always got the sense, though, that, that – he sort of he sort of thrived on that 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 he sort of liked the combativeness uh, uh, and the sort of back and forth and he had a lot of respect for for some uh, uh, members uh, of the media that that wouldn't necessarily have been evident. Oh, oh, he did. He very much so. I mean, there were uh, reporters like Raymer Tyson at the Free Press or Kirk Chaffetz or or uh, J.P. McCarthy. Yeah, uh, he had a great relationship with them. You know, would talk to them at any time. He respected them, and they respected him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about your early days uh, working for for Bill Millick and how different that might have been, for instance, from working here in the city of Detroit. Well, they they had a little bit of a different style, <laughs> <laughs> just a just a hair difference, right? But you know, uh, they in fact had a very good personal as well as professional relationship. Yeah. I mean, they were good friends. Yeah. And and, uh, and and that relationship was good for both the state and for, for the city of Detroit. Was that part of what brought you uh, to the Young administration, the, the, the relationship between Milliken and Young? Well, I, I had actually known the mayor when he was in the state senate, and I was a reporter in Lansing. And he had always had a great relationship with the media when he was in the state senate. Yeah. And so sitting in Lansing and watching what was happening, it was like, well, what's going on down there? This is not the same Coleman Young that we used to, to deal with. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually I got a call out of the blue one day from uh, Max Pincus, 
who um, owned the London Chop House. Uh And uh, the mayor did not have a press secretary at the time. And and Max knew that the governor was not running for re-election. I was going to have to find a job. And so he called, and I assumed he was calling to see who I might recommend in Detroit for the job. And after he gave me about a five-minute explanation of why he was calling, he said, some reason I'm calling Mr. Berg is to see if you'd be interested in the job. And he told me later there was about 15 seconds of silence while I picked myself up off the floor. <laughs> and, and we agreed to talk, and uh, the following January, I reported for work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Bob Berg, a founding member of Berg Muirhead Public Relations Firm, former press secretary to former Detroit Mayor Coleman Young. We are talking about uh, Bob's career uh, here in the city of Detroit. We're talking about uh, Coleman Young and the relationship he had both with the media and with uh, the suburbs. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What are your memories of Coleman Young. Uh, what are your memories of uh, Coleman Young and the media? What are your memories of uh, the relationship between him and the suburbs? Do you think uh, we are in a different place today than we were then? Are we in a better place, a worse place? Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. The Detroit of the 1970s and 1980s uh, was, of course, very different uh, from the Detroit of today. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious about how you see those differences, both in terms of uh, politics and political leadership, uh, but also in terms of the city's sort of place and role uh, in southeast Michigan and in the state. Well, the, the, city, is, the city has always been, um, I mean, the reason that... that that Southeast Michigan is here is, I mean, the city is, is the Detroit, reason, right? is Detroit. <laughs> uh, and it's always been the center. It's always going to be the center. I mean, until, until they move the river, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. Uh, that's not going to, that's not going to change. <laughs> and that's not going to change. And, and I think there, I think there's a much, there, there's more of a realization now in, in the seventies and eighties, there were a lot of people that thought, well, we can do just fine in the suburbs and let Detroit go down the tubes. Yeah. And I think there's much more of a realization now that that's just not realistic, that that's not the way it's going to happen, that, that we go up or down as a region together, yeah. which, was always, which was always Mayor Young's theory. Right. Well, and yet we still have these arguments or uh, these, these disagreements over regional issues. And each time they come up, I think we're all sort of reminded of how deep-seated these things are in – not just the, the Detroit of the 70s and 80s, but, but even before. And there I'm thinking specifically about regional transit, for instance. Right. Uh, uh, we had a chance during the Young administration, for instance, uh, to really take a big step forward on regional transit, uh, a, a huge commitment from the federal government on the table. And we couldn't get it done because uh, we couldn't get along. Right. I mean, the mayor and Governor Milliken and, and, and Max Fisher went to Washington and got a commitment from William Coleman, who was then the Secretary of Transportation, right. and who had been a Tuskegee Airman with Coleman Young, uh, a $600 million commitment, which back then was real money, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if it basically... It's like a billion dollars today, really. Right, yeah. right. Saying if, if uh, you guys can get your act together, here's the money to get started on a regional transit system. And, and it just it never came together. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, you think about... Uh, the reason that didn't come together was, it had nothing to do with, with Coleman himself. Uh, it was the inability of, of all of the players regionally to, to, to figure out uh, how, to, how to work together. And yet, 
you know, we did build the people mover uh, at, at, at a point in the, a later point in time as sort of the beginning of that system, and it just becomes sort of a, a point of mockery of the mayor himself. I mean, it's it's really uh, one of the sort of cruel, I think, ironies of of his time in office that that he became sort of a symbol of that failed uh, transportation. Uh, when when he re- didn't really he he wasn't really responsible for it. No, no, he he really wasn't. I mean, he did everything that he could to try to put a deal together, and the people mover was never intended as a standalone transportation system. Right, it was supposed to be a hub that would get people, re- uh, you know, out spokes to to the suburbs. Right. Yeah. Right. And we lost the money to to, to do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to continue our conversation with Bob Berg, former press secretary to Coleman Young, and we're going to take your calls. Paul in Detroit, Jerome in Detroit, we will get to you. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. My guest is Bob Berg, a founding member of Berg Muirhead Public Relations Firm and former press secretary to former Detroit Mayor Coleman Young, also a former press secretary to Republican Governor Bill Milliken. We are talking about Bob's career here in the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan. And also about Coleman Young, his relationship with the media, his relationship with the suburbs. If you want to join the conversation, uh, you have memories of Coleman Young, you have memories of Detroit and the suburbs, those relationships in the 1970s and 1980s, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. Let's go to Paul in Detroit. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. How you doing? Good. How are you? How are you? Yeah. Thanks for the call. Go ahead. All right. Okay. Um, okay. I was born in Detroit, and I was uh, about 10 or so when uh, Coleman Young was first elected. And what always struck me has been that if you ask, uh, say, a, a black Detroiter about Coleman Young and a white person from the suburbs, you know, you get two very opposite comments. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, right. Right <laughs> but, you know, you know, and you know what those two are. But I think they're pretty much the same. I think, you know, because... I think you can put his um, his um, run into into two different, two distinct paths, two distinct parts. I think the first two terms where he did very important work, things like basically um, integrating a city that had been a, a predominantly black city that had been ru- been run by a by a sometimes corrupt white government. You know, mostly white government. Yeah. It was very poor in integrating the, as you said, this 50-50 policy, as Mr. Berg talked about, the police force, the fire department, things like that. And his first two terms, great work. But I think it's with a lot of people, his third term, he was such, he was so popular, nobody was going to vote Coleman Young out. I think he got to get got a little lazy, and, and I'd be interested in Mr. Berg's, um, you know, his uh, opinion on that. And that's when some of that corruption came in. That I'd like to basically say what he did is basically showed everybody that a government that had been at one point a, at some point, a corrupt white government could also be a corrupt, partly black government a few years later. Wow. Uh, so Paul, that, was, uh, that was the case. 
Hey, and also I, I I'm a good friend of your uh, of your school of your college roommate, um, um, Jim Jim Handel. Oh, you are great guy. <laughs> Thanks very much for the call, Paul. I, I appreciate it. And those are those are great comments and questions. Uh, Bob Burr, go ahead and answer uh, uh, the the gap between. What was uh, the administration was like in the first term and the the third or fourth term is uh, some of the things that people talk about when they talk about when they talk critically about Mayorian. Well, I, I've heard that before that you know he was great the first two terms, but he stayed too long. But I always ask people who was around who could have done a better job than he did in the third, fourth, and fifth term. And you look at some of the things that happened: the Poltown plant, the Chrysler Jefferson plant, uh, the expansion of Cobo Hall. Um, the, the the Fox Theater renovations that he worked with the Illich family on. I mean, those are all those are all things that happened in later terms that are still having a tremendous impact on the city today. Yeah. Uh, did you feel like uh, the other criticism I've heard of, of of him is that he he didn't groom enough people who were sort of younger than he was or or working in the administration to sort of take over, and that that uh, that showed in the third and fourth terms, and then, of course, in the in the the, the people who succeeded him. Well, he he used to say that nobody groomed him. <laughs> <laughs> right, he had, he had to learn on the job. He had sort of a Darwinian approach to uh, <laughs> to political leadership. <laughs> right, <laughs> prove yourself or right. uh, or get out. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go to Susan in Oxford. Susan, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. Um, I'm just very frustrated with this revisionist history. I feel that Coleman Young, on his watch, was responsible for turning Detroit into a third world country and ran it like Papa Doc, Papa (laughs) Coleman, and um, he was not trying to build bridges between the city and the suburbs. In my opinion, he was burning bridges. He made some famous comment, I can't remember what it is now, about eight mile, and it was basically the white folks Susan, Susan, come on. And we'll stay on our side. Susan, have you been listening to the whole time? No, I have not. Okay, okay. Well, we played, we played the quote that you're talking about at the top of this segment, and he did not say what you just said. What he said was that, you know, thieves and thugs and people who were criminals and whether they were, uh, whether they were people who dressed in suits or people who were dressed in in blue uniforms with silver badges ought to hit eight mile. He didn't say anything about telling white people to leave the city. Oh well, oh thank Can you, you for think the clarification. Of, yeah, um, yeah. But I do feel that he played the race card a whole heck of a lot when it was in his favor and calling Reagan president prune face <laughs> and what have you was just not helpful. Okay, I know, we can laugh about it now, and maybe we laughed at the time, but it wasn't helpful. You feel like it was. You feel like that was that was uh, deteriorate or helped deteriorate the relationship between the city and the suburbs. Yes, I do, and okay. thank you. I'll go right. off the line Fair now, enough. but thank you for letting yeah, me no, I appreciate. Opinion. I appreciate the call, Susan. Well, you know, it's not as if there were other urban areas that Reagan did a lot for. Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <know. laughs> uh, but, but that, uh, I think Susan, you know, and, and, you know, it's almost like I set that call up uh, to <laughs> call and, and sort of make the point uh, that I've been trying to make, which is that, that no, matter, no matter how many times you say it, no matter how explicit you are about what he actually said and did, there is this this sense of him as a racist, uh, as as a uh, a bridge burner, as as somebody who hated uh, 
the other sort of regional partners. And that just, uh, you know, anyone who knew him, anyone who ever had a conversation with him, I think came away with a very different per- perspective. Right. I mean, he, he would not have had, uh, had such a great relationship, for instance, with Governor Milliken. If he uh, felt right. that way. That's right. You know, when Dan Murphy was the the Oakland County exec, the two of them had a great relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's just, that's not what he was about. And we talked earlier about the 50-50 policy within the administration. Right. Well, if right. he really hated white folks, I mean, he wouldn't have had 50% of his administration made up of white folks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm curious, Bob, about your sense of... Detroit and where it's headed now, really different city, really different sense of optimism in in places like downtown and midtown. Some of that, of course, owes to things that that Coleman Young did. And a lot of times we don't really acknowledge uh, that. But but are you optimistic about uh, Detroit and its future? I am. And I think, I mean, I think Detroiters in general are optimistic. I mean, I think if, if you're not optimistic, you've probably left the city by now. And, uh, and, but you see, there's a lot of good things happening. Uh, the important thing as we move forward is to make sure that everybody participates in that. Yeah. Um, that it's, that it's, that, that the growth and the, the development is out in the neighborhoods as well. In the yeah. Downtown uh, and that was something that the former mayor was really focused on was, uh, participation, participation right. in the economy and in, in the good times uh, that that uh, that the city was experiencing, making sure that African Americans, in particular, who had been locked out of that participation, were were included. Right. He was about inclusion. He wasn't about excluding anybody, but yeah. he was about including. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Jerome in Detroit. Jerome, welcome to Detroit today. Yes. Good morning, and yeah, go good ahead. morning to your guests. Uh-huh. I, I really enjoy your, your guest because uh, uh, he cleared up a lot of things. And one thing, I was like I was showing you the screen, I didn't grow up here. I've been here for about 35 years now, and I lived in like four of the major cities. And when I came here, I always heard these things about Marion over and over. But I think that the, the media has played a role in what I'm about to say, and I want to ask your guests about this, is that Mayor Young wasn't mayor of St. Louis. He wasn't mayor of Kansas City, Baltimore, and I could go to this, could go on in every major city in the U.S. during that era. How is it that the media never talks about how did all inner cities at the same time during that area fail? And it was because of the freeways. If you go back and look at the mass destruction of it, that's the only thing I can come up. I'm 30 years older now. Yeah. And I've done a lot of research. And if you look at it, it was the freeways in the suburbs that created the destruction of the inner city. But they finally want, always want to blame it on this one person. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Jerome, thank you very much for calling and making that comment. Uh, Bob, uh, that gets to this idea that, you know, I mean, uh, Mayor Young came into a situation that was not great. There were a lot of problems in the city of Detroit that had been. Uh, created by the freeways, uh, by the racial tension, uh, by all of these things uh, before. Well, and, and you had about a half a million people who had moved out of the city before he became and already mayor. left. That's right. They had already left. Yeah. You yeah. know, the city went from almost two million in 1950 uh, to 1.5 million. Yeah. And and so the, the exodus was well underway before he took office. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little strange to blame him for it. Right. Yeah. All right. Bob Berg, uh, founding member of Berg Muirhead Public Relations, former press secretary to former Detroit Mayor Coleman Young. Thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. All right. It's going to do it for us. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and 
engineer Matthew Tavathan, associate producers Mary and Aaliyah, and Detroit Today's theme song is composed by WDET Sam Bobian. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. I'll see you tomorrow.